Well, good evening. This has been a wonderful time of worship already, and uh, especially the swaying part. I noticed that the uh, youth handled that quite well. Some of the rest of us had difficulty with that. And uh, I just realized tonight, it just hit me tonight, I'm not a youth. It just dawned on me, it hit me, that those days are past me. There would have been a day when I would have swayed quite well. Um, but uh, that day is just gone. So I enjoyed the youth very much, just watching them. It brought back wonderful memories. Um, but you know, you, a man must know his limitations. And uh, I'm just aware of that tonight. You know, we started out camp meeting by looking at uh, the Mount of Transfiguration and the fact that the, the voice that came out of the cloud was a stern reminder and an, and an important reminder to us, a focusing reminder for us, that we need to listen to Jesus. But in addition to that, we know that we are, we are to be more than hearers. We have been urged with that through the days that we've spent together already. We're to be doers of the word as well. And the passage that we're going to consider this evening really focuses on doing what he says doing what he says. So it's not enough just to hear, it's not enough just to listen, but again, the idea of listening always has in the context of Scripture the following through of doing what you hear. So let's look together at John chapter 2, a familiar passage, I'm sure, to all of us. We're going to look at the first 12 verses of that chapter, and it's the first recorded miracle that John provides for us in his inspired account. I'm reading, by the way, and I should have mentioned this early on, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. If you haven't figured that out yet, I apologize, but the NASB is probably one of my favorite versions. So that's what I have been preaching from. If you were hunting around trying to figure out what in the world I was reading, I apologize, but that's where we are, at least that's where I'm reading from this evening. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was, was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed 
in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. Just want us to look tonight at this whole call that did not come specifically from Jesus, but it came from Mary. Whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Not only are we to listen to him, this is my beloved son, my one and only son, my singular sent one, and I'm pleased with him, listen to him, but now we have this from his mother, whatever he asks you to do, whatever he gives in form of instruction, do it. Do it. So the context I find interesting. Jesus, who is the creative word of God, Jesus, who was present at creation, and Jesus, who ordained maleness, femaleness, and marriage, where do we find him? We find him at a wedding. You know, I'll tell you what, we better hope that Jesus shows up to every wedding we ever sanction, any wedding we ever talk about, we better hope that it's in such a condition and in such agreement with him that Jesus can be present at the wedding. And there he was. He was present at the wedding, putting really indirectly a wonderful stamp of approval on all that was happening. Jesus was at the wedding with his disciples. And his mother was there. So we don't know who got married. But it was either a very, very close friend or a relative. But someone got married. And they're, they're at the celebration stage. They are enjoying time together celebrating this new couple, the emerging of a new family, and what God has done in that wonderful gift of life. And they're celebrating the moment. And the word trickles down somewhere through certain avenues and through certain lines of communication. And Mary, a very tender-hearted, caring individual, gets the word, they have run out of wine. The party's about to come to a screeching halt. There's going to be embarrassment for the hosts. It's going to be something that will probably be remembered for quite some time. They didn't do a very good job planning for that celebration. And I'll tell you one thing I have learned about being married. Women care about these things. I'm just, one thing I'm sure of, women care about these things. I don't care. I don't give a rip. But women care about these things. So I've learned something. Now, it's taken me a long time, way too long, way too long, and I, I hate to even admit that, but it's taken me way too long, but I, I have learned something. I've picked up finally on the cues and the signals, and I've learned something. I frankly feel good about myself this evening. I've learned something. And what I've learned is this. If my wife says it matters, it matters. It matters. So here's Mary indicating this is really a kind of a dire situation. Now, really, the sky isn't falling. I mean, really, can we, can we just be honest? The sky's not falling. It's just going to kind of put a damper on the party. How long will this be remembered? Will this be written down in the annals of history? Will somebody recall this? It was going well until they ran out of wine. I mean, is anybody going to remember that very long? Well, if they do, they need to get a life. 
But evidently, this is a big deal. So Mary just puts in a word. They've run out of wine. Now, Jesus is not being demeaning to his mother. But he's making a very, very important point. He's reached a point in his life, and his ministry is emerging. And he is telling her, by calling her woman and not mother, a term of endearment, he is saying to her, this is a matter over which I have authority and not you. This is a ministry matter. This is a matter of what I am about to do and I know who I am and I know what I'm called to do and this is one of those moments when I don't just do what mom tells me to do. So he's not being unkind. He's not being rude. He's not being a poor son. He's just giving a very, very good signal. Signal or not, I find this interesting. Mary just said, hey guys, whatever he says to you, do it. You know, moms just pick up on signals. Moms know things. And uh, Mary said this, yeah, I heard what he said. I heard what he said. But get ready, and whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, this pressing problem, which maybe to many of us doesn't seem like that big of a deal, holds, though, for us some wonderful lessons. And I trust tonight that God will help us, the Holy Spirit will speak to us, and that they'll sink deeply into our hearts because I think there are some gems here that we need to get a hold of. Jesus just said to them, and there were six, there were six water pots there, and Jesus just said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. Several factors about this story are, I think, noteworthy. One, these waiters, they're really waiters. Uh, the word in the original is a word where we derive our uh, more contemporary term deacon from. So these were waiters, these were attendants. So they're not slaves, they are really hired attendants, they're waiters that Jesus signals and begins to command. They remain for us nameless, they're never named, but yet they fill a very, very important role, but they are nameless. Their task, frankly, is menial, and I want us to look at that as our first point. Don't ever underestimate the value of a menial task. I know that there have been individuals coming to our aid and to our help this week, and I'm appreciative. There are those who have been taking out my trash. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, that, that, that's hard for me because at home I have a job and I, I take out the trash. And there's a, there's a sense in which I'm losing my job and I'm losing my reason for existence because someone else is getting my trash. It's hard to take, hard to deal with. But menial tasks 
should never be looked down upon as being insignificant because, frankly, a lot of life is made up of menial tasks. If all we ever did was work at the matters where our names are recorded and when there's some, where there's some kind of a log for what we've done and someone has taken note and said they did a tremendous job, life would never get lived in a servant way. Frankly, a lot of the things that God wants to get done would never get done because there would be this constant kind of haranguing need to have our names in bold print somewhere and to be recognized for what we've accomplished. But Jesus asked them to perform menial tasks. The definition of menial basically means unskilled labor, doing quite a bit of work with no prestige. Isn't that interesting? Frankly, may their number increase all over the work of God's kingdom who are willing to do menial tasks. You know, one of the hardest points of ministry in the church world today, in every denomination, is finding individuals when they come out of their graduate work willing to take what would be considered a smaller work, a less important church. They all want the mega church. They all want the name and lights kind of experience. They all want the biggest pay. They all want whatever they can get. And very, very few are willing to go to the hard places, the smaller places, where there are souls just like any other place who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a sad tale. That's a sad woe on the life of the church these days. May God help us to be willing to do the menial tasks when Jesus asks us to do them. I want us also to notice not only are these menial tasks humble work, often physically difficult and demanding, often without much praise or attention or thanks, but I want us to note it is within the scope of human ability to do it. Hold on to that. It is within the scope of human ability to do it. In other words, these individuals were not asked by Jesus to do something that human beings cannot do. They were not asked to assume a role that they could not perform. Jesus will never ask you to do something that is impossible for you to do. So while we might not like the thanklessness of a menial task, thank God he doesn't ask you to do what you cannot do. May his name be praised. He is a good, faithful, fair, and not a frustrating God. He asks for what they could do, not the impossible for them. He didn't say, go make a lot of more of, of new wine. Go harvest grapes. Go to the press. Make wine and bring it here and do so in five minutes. No, he just asked them for a simple but demanding task, haul a lot of water at my request. 
It's going to be heavy. How heavy? We know that it was really at least 120 gallons, maybe up to 180 gallons. I do simple math. That's about as far as I can go. But it was a lot of water nonetheless, which meant trips, which meant effort, which meant carrying weight and filling uh, pots, by the way, that were not meant for that purpose. But Jesus just said, fill up the pots. They didn't debate the use of the water pots. They didn't delay obeying because water isn't wine. They didn't delegate it to somebody else because they didn't want to get embarrassed or have the head waiter take their heads for doing what they were about to do. They simply, immediately did what they were asked to do, didn't consider it ridiculous, and didn't halt because they thought it was irrelevant. They simply hauled the water. It might have appeared crazy to them. They would have at least known. I mean, they're, they're, they're common laborers, but they're not stupid. They know that water isn't wine, and you can't switch it up and people not notice. They knew that. Water doesn't pass for wine. So why bring water? Because we can. Because we can. And because Jesus said to do it. Simple. Because we can... And because Jesus said to do it. I wonder how often the work of God is stifled. Because we want to argue that we can't do what the Lord hasn't even asked us to do in the first place. Did you get that? I wonder how often God's work gets stifled because we have developed an argument that God has never even stated. He's never asked us to do the impossible, yet we have taken the stance of the impossible and have made that a roadblock and an obstacle and have signed off on the opportunity ever taking place because it's just too hard to do. Just haul the water. Just carry the water. The amount of water took some work, but do it at the time directed. Do it cheerfully. Bring what you can. Don't stew over what you can't. Bring what has been asked of you, and do not, do not remove your responsibility out of the cannot do it philosophy. Jesus didn't ask these waiters and these in individuals called to serve what they could not do. He simply asked them all to do all that they could do. Did we get that? He just simply asked them to do all that all of them could do. And in those two parts of their response, both carrying the water filling the pots, and in taking some of that to the head waiter, notice they remain in league. They all do what they are asked 
to do. I like these people. I like these guys. I am pleased with them. I'm rejoicing with them. They all did all. What in the world would happen to us in the work of ministry if they all did all? My. And if we didn't care about it, and if we didn't care about whether or, whether or not our names were, were recorded, boy, he'd carry the water with a deft touch. No, he just hauled the water when the Lord asked him to do so. And they took a sample to the head waiter. Here's what happens, though, when menial tasks in the name of Jesus and at a response to his call and in an act of obedience, here's what happens when menial tasks are performed. Miraculous transformation takes place. Miracles happen. Jesus included these waiters. Had they not done their job, I'm not sure exactly what Jesus would have done had they not performed what he asked them to do. But because of what he asked them to do and their obedience, he was able to perform a miraculous transformation. Don't miss a supernatural act of God. Things like the new birth, a sanctifying moment of heart cleansing, a healing, a divinely ordered or orchestrated moment because you think something is nonsense or impossible. Don't miss a God moment because you're just not willing to haul the water. Pay attention to the details of obedience to Jesus. They did everything to a T that he asked them to do. You know, I've learned some things over time, and one of the things that I've learned is I rejoice when my cannot is completely overwhelmed by and overcome by Jesus' can-do. I am delighted when what I cannot do, He just lets me in on it enough to see what He can do. I'm thankful that He includes me in that, and I get to witness it. There was a day early on I thought, it doesn't matter if I'm not really kind of engineering the thing or if I'm not directing the thing, but Boy, my heart changed one day, and as a result, I didn't care about trying to be the get-all-the-praise guy anymore, and I just wanted to be and bask in the glory of Jesus when He does stuff we cannot do. When the natural is invaded by the supernatural, I want to be there. When God fills the voids of emptiness with His fullness, I want to see it. I want to witness it. When emptiness and lack and void, which is a huge part of our problem, we're not only deprived of God's spirit, we're depraved in character, but Jesus changes things. And that emptiness, when he fills it, I want to be there. I want to see it. I want to see someone stand up and testify, I was void, I was empty, I was lost, but Jesus found me. I want to be there when Jesus performs a miraculous transformation. When he fills the emptiness of a sin-cursed and sin-sick soul, I want to see a miraculous transformation. So if it means that I perform menial tasks, and sometimes I think that's kind of what my life is, 
performing menial tasks. That's okay. That's okay. You know, people have an interesting thought about pastors. You know, um, some of the guys in my church make fun of me when they shake my hands. They say, you have pastor hands. And what that means is I'm a wimp. But I want you to know something. I'm there every work day. I just wear gloves. I'm there every work day, and I work hard. I pull weeds. I trim the place. I, I go around the property, and I mow. And I'm, you know, I'm the lead pastor. Have you noticed how we've gone from senior pastor to lead pastor to, I wonder if it's, you know, big kahuna. I'm just wondering what we'll come up with next. But I've learned this. Lead pastor, senior pastor, whatever. You pull weeds. You paint rooms. You do all kinds of stuff. My youth pastor, who's been with me now probably about 15, 16, or maybe more years, he made this statement one time. I'm not sure how to take it, but I'll share it with you, and you can see what you think about it. He said, I've never seen anyone who goes after souls and weeds with the same vigor. <laughs> But you know, that's all right. Menial tasks. I want the church to be inviting. I want the space to be inviting. I want it to be welcoming. I want people to be drawn in. And I, my hope is that just by carrying the water, a miraculous transformation will take place in someone's soul. Well, the head waiter said, where in the world did you get this stuff? We've never had stuff like this, and nobody does this. This is way beyond convention. After everyone has celebrated quite a, a long time and they've had ample uh, drink along the way, then finally, maybe even as the crowd begins to thin, then you bring out the cheaper stuff, and you have brought out the best at the last. You know, isn't it true that whatever God does, it's always best? It's always the best. Never inferior, never an inferior product. And as a result of that, there was a history-parting manifested truth. If we look at verse 11a, the be this beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. He manifested his glory. So we've moved from just menial tasks to a just a tremendous, miraculous transformation and a clear moment of glory. This is a moment of glory. Jesus is who we hoped he would be. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the sent one. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. Jesus is manifested in his glory. We are witnessing a public demonstration of his power, of his dignity, of his character. This is a praiseworthy moment. This is an honor-receiving moment. This is a worship-deserving experience. The word is doxon, from where we get the word doxology. This is a doxology moment. If his disciples would have known better, they would have stood up and they would have sung the doxology because they were in a glory moment. I just want us to haul the water so that we don't miss a glory moment. 
You know, folks are so full of themselves these days that God can't do anything and get the glory because the glory has already been stolen. It's already been seized by those who have no right to it. The waiters, though, in a parenthetical reminder, were insiders and privileged. Don't miss that. When, whenever that was that water was turned to wine and they took it to the head waiter and he drew a draft from that and saw how good it was. Whenever that all happened, they, they're, they're dealing with the fact, John is reminding them, the, waiter, the head waiter didn't know that the water had been turned into wine. But in a parenthesis statement, but the diakonoi, the waiters, the attendants knew. Isn't it neat to kind of be at times on the inside, knowing what God is doing, knowing what He's about to do, and having a privileged front row seat to behold it. Don't miss a glory moment. Don't miss what God is wanting to do. And I would just say this to all of us as well. There's a lesson here for what we bring to Jesus. Don't mess up a glorifying moment of Jesus in your own life. Just bring all of you to Him. Do all that He tells you to do. Whatever He says to you, He will not ask you to do what you cannot do. So if he asks you to do something, you can, you can, and you must. The impact, though, is great, and I'll close with the last part of verse 11. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and look at this closing stanza, and his disciples believed in him. That is an outcome worth being a part of, isn't it? When anyone who is an observer, when anyone sees what has been done, what has been accomplished, Jesus has been glorified, Jesus has been understood as who he is, anybody has the opportunity to witness that, and they end up with a meaningful trust. They end up saying, I believe in him. And this moment has marked my life from here on out. I am trusting in him. I am exercising faith in him. His disciples believed in him. I want to say to, to you and to us, your humble obedience my obedience opens the door for Jesus to transform lives. Yours, mine, and the witness goes out to those who do not know him with the hope that others will believe in him. It'll spill over onto others. In turn, others will believe in him because we served to his glory, 
not to our notice, not to be thanked, not to have all kinds of accolades given to us, but we haul the water, do the menial task, all to the glory of the one who has asked us to do what we can do, not what we cannot do, so that in the end there will be this stanza that we pray marks every event we are a part of, and they believed in him. May God help us with that. You know, the, the, the word is, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of of the wicked and those who have a lot. But I would just say this, I'd rather be a waiter at a wedding where Jesus is than to have my name in lights and not know his glory. I want to know his glory. I want Jesus to get the glory, don't you? I want Jesus to receive what he is due. Every time we are with him, there ought to be a closing response and the expression that's appropriate. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. May we honor him, praise him. I would just ask us this tonight. It's one thing to say we'll listen to him. It's a whole other thing to say we will do what he asks us to do. I don't know your heart I'm certain God does. I don't know your heart. And I would just ask you this. Are you doing all that he asks you to do? We know whether or not he's asked us something. We can't hide. We can't dodge that. It will stick with us. We might think, I'll just wait him out. If he's asked me to do something, I'll just wait him out. Let me tell you something. He'll track you down, and his dealings with you will stop at that point. He'll revisit it and revisit it and revisit it until we do what he asks us to do. So you might as well just yield, and you might as well just do so straight up, right as he asks you. You'll never be sorry if you do. Whatever he asks you, do it. Do it. Let's stand.